0: Today's guest is a living proof that one can pursue one's passion in life and do so while making a profit as well. Matt McWilliams is my guest in today's episode and he is the best-selling author of the book Turn Your Passions Into Profits and he's worked with some of the top companies and entrepreneurs on the planet. People like Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, Michael Hyatt, Lewis House, Brian Tracy, Jeff Walker, just to mention a few, and there's so many more. And he's really here to help people and their quest to turn their passion and message into a profitable and growing business. He's been through the startup phase multiple times in the past two decades and has built a following from scratch. Today, he lives out his passion for helping others find their purpose, their passion, message, and a path to prof- profitability. He's also the host of the Affiliate Guide podcast, and and he's a really cool guy just to have on board. And I've been actually wanting to interview Matt for a little while now, and it's just been great to actually have that interview. One thing we talked about was focusing on the leadership principles. But you know what? He said, actually, that you might need to be willing to be wrong and and actually understand it. But if you're willing to do that, that's all good. But he said something that was really, really quite strong. And I think whether you're an, an entrepreneur, a leader in a large corporate, small corporate, doesn't matter. This whole principle is the same for all of us. And that is your communication style will determine your brand. And so it was a wonderful interview with Matt, great discussion we had. So what I want you to do is sit back and enjoy the interview. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing Podcast. Great to have you here with us again today. Now, I've got a guest with me who I've been wanting to have on the show for a while, and uh, he's a cool guy, and uh, he is a guy who's known as the Affiliate Guy, and his name is Matt McWilliams. Matt, a massive welcome to you. Hey, Dennis. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Hey, look, first of all, congratulations to you on your Book that you've just released and how it's gone for you. So it's really, really cool. Book listeners, it's called "Turn Your Passions Into Profits. So Matt, well done on that. That's that's really cool to see.
1: Yeah, that was fun. It's uh, it's a dream, eight years in the making, and uh, you know, it's it's really. I think the most exciting part is that it's it's in it's in bookstores, you know, and and less than one. One one hundredth of 1% of books ever make it in the bookstores, which is kind of crazy. I love that it's there. I love that it's in libraries. You know, this book, you know, newsflash people, you don't make that much money on books. So for me, it's all about impact, you know, with the book. And so, I mean, there was a time in my life, you know, 17 years ago where libraries made all the difference for me. The greats like Zig Ziglar and Les Brown, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Jeffrey Gittimer, all those people that I learned so much of what I still use today. I learned from reading books in the library. You know, there was a time in my life where spending 15, 20 bucks on a book was was a, that was a difficult decision, you know? So to be able to read five, six books a month from the local library was a, was a blessing to me and and still has lasting effects. So even like getting it in, you know, most of the libraries around the world has been a, been a big, big deal to me. So yeah, thank you. It's, it's been,
0: been pretty cool. Excellent. Now you mentioned just something there, which is about, you know, not making a lot of money in books and, and, but it's more about visibility and so forth. I'm going to come back to that in a minute around branding and what it means for a leader and their branding yeah. and so forth. So we'll come back to that. Now, whereabouts in the, in the world are you today?
1: Fort Wayne, Indiana. So we're known for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we were joking about, I had a, a team meeting earlier and we were joking about how, you know, I said, yeah, somebody had moved, one of our clients had moved from Texas to New Hampshire. And I said, yeah, the only thing that could ever make a man do that is his wife's family. You know, and I I was like, because that's why I moved north. And I have quite a few people, friends that, you know, I grew up in the south. I grew up in the nice warm weather mostly. And we moved up here because we we wanted to pick at least one family to be closer to. And, you know, we ended up kind of in a coin flip picking my wife's family. So now it's one of those things you can never leave because her, you know, all their closest friends and, and you know, kids' closest friends and our soccer and everything is here. So we'll never leave. But yeah, I'm in Fort Wayne, which it's a... You know, it's one of those things, like thing I love about this place, I'm a city boy. I have to be five minutes from everything. But you can be five minutes like our property, you we're five, seven minutes from anything you could ever want. Major restaurants, stores, everything. If I plopped you in our backyard in the middle of summer when the trees are in bloom, you'd think you're out in the country. You know, Mm. so I love it here. You can get across town in 15 minutes. And yet we have everything, you know, about 300,000 people, but it doesn't, it's so spread out that it doesn't feel like a clustered city. So it's the perfect city, it turns out, for me to live in.
0: That almost sounds like the city that I grew up here in New Zealand, in Wellington. It's The, the, the greater Wellington is about $375,000 people, but um, I got money on my brain at the moment with profits in the book, right? And the thing is, is you're right, it's so cool just to just be able to do that. Now I live in a city, it's around about 1.7 million. There it is again, People. <laughs> And it's amazing. It takes longer longer to get around the place, which is interesting. Yep. Now, tell us more about your background, where you've come from, what you've done. Because I know you also, you've had people that you've actually helped as well. Some big names like the Shark Tanks, Kevin Harrington, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, just to name yep. a few, Jeff Walker. And that's actually how I, I got to know you actually through the Jeff Walker side of things. So tell us more about your background, what you've done and that, because the listeners love to hear that.
1: Yeah, it is crazy to think where we're at now. I mean, the people that that I've been able to work with, you know, people that I've I looked up to for almost two decades in some cases. Yeah, I've worked with Zig Ziglar's company. You know, Zig had already passed away, but I mean, I know his son and I know his you know his business, and I've worked with them. I've worked with Tony Robbins' company and Dean Graziosi's launch, helping them. Jeff Walker, like you mentioned, Brian Tracy, you know, Michael Hyatt. Like these are people that I I wouldn't say I idol. I don't I don't idolize anybody personally. That's just a I'm not like that, but people that I got so much value from that people that impacted my life in such great ways. And I always looked up to them. And then we've worked with them. Like I've I've worked with these people. It's it's, it's amazing, you know, like these few people I can I can text and they'll endorse the book, you know, and and things like that. And that came about through kind of a weird long stretch of circumstances, you know. You know, to, to, to go back to the book, the original first words in the book were from the the Grateful Dead song, Truckin'. It says, what a long, strange trip it's been. And uh, we had to delete those because it turns out with song lyrics, you have to get permission from the publisher of the song. And that's a pain in the butt. And we just decided to change the the opening quote, but... That's a pretty apt description of my life. You know, what a long, strange trip it's been because I got into leadership. I got into, you know, business sort of by accident about 20 some odd years ago, 22 years ago now, I started my first website company and I started, I was teaching golf schools with my dad and my dad thankfully fired me because I was terrible at golf instruction, but that was what led to me getting into this online business world. You know, for me, the the head of that was like, you know, we were teaching these golf schools and on the weekends, I'd do the Friday, Saturday, Sunday golf school, about 20 hours of golf school over the course of three days. People would pay about $2,000 a person to come. And we had like four people come into these golf schools. It's, you know, at the age of 22, 20 hours for, you know, for $4,000, because we make about $8,000 split it two ways. Tw- you know, 20 hours for $4,000 is amazing at the age of 22. I was like, dad, what if we had 10 people? Could we handle 10 people? He's like, yeah, we can handle 10 people in one of these golf schools. So I got on Google, you know, this brand new website. I was like, dad, there's this website called Google. You know, he's like, what? What's a Google? I'm like, I don't know, but it's like a search engine or something, you know? And you give them money and then they send you traffic. And, and you know, we teach in the book and, and what people are accustomed to today is, you no, know, today you, you come to the website, you opt in, you, you create a lead magnet. That's what step four is all about. You create a lead magnet. They subscribe. You nurture the relationship, and then you sell something, right? But at that time, that we didn't know that you came to my website. You either gave me two thousand dollars or you left. But about one out of every two hundred people would give me two thousand dollars. It cost us ten cents a click. You do the math: twenty dollars to acquire a two thousand dollar customer. Now that's not replicatable today. Just to be, to be clear, but at that time we were getting four five people every week mm. signing up for these golf schools, in addition to the f- three to five that we already had, we were doing it. We were having eight to 10 people coming. There were weekends, Dennis, I would leave the weekend with $20,000. All right. There were weekends because we would do two of these golf schools, right? We had a morning and an afternoon session. I'd work 40 hours in a weekend. Don't misunderstand me. It was a long weekend, but I would make 20 grand. That's insane at the age of mm-hmm. 22 to make $20,000 mm-hmm. in three days of work. But it taught me what online business was. And so I was like, okay, I'm all in. My dad fired me because I sucked at golf instruction, but I loved the, you know, the marketing and the business side. So I started another company and um, you know we were kind of in desperate straits one day. It was Memorial Day in, in the US, a weekend, 2005. In the US, I was supposed to be at a barbecue. I'm supposed to be sitting by a pool. I'm supposed to be hanging out with my friends. I didn't do any of that. I spent the entire weekend trying to figure out how to set up an affiliate program because we needed some way to bring in revenue without paying out revenue in the short term. We didn't have any more money. We we're going to go bankrupt. We couldn't make payroll. And so I built this affiliate program from scratch. About eighteen months later, we're doing over a million dollars a month. And we could talk about that whole process if you want. But like the point was, I learned some stuff along the way, and I, I learned how to do online marketing. I learned how to do online business, and. How to you know build systems and all those things, and so today what we do is we teach a lot of people how to do that. We teach people how to build affiliate programs, how to do affiliate marketing, how to monetize. You know this the book's all about you know creating a, a website around your passions and your message and your you know the things that you're interested in and monetizing that. That's why it's called passions into profits, not just how to turn your passions into a hobby or a hobby blog or a podcast. No, it's profits, and so that's today. That's what we help people do, and uh, it's been a journey. But ultimately it led, like you said, to kind of us being able to work with some pretty pretty amazing people along the way.
0: That's a fascinating background and story. If there was one thing that you could pull out of that as a, probably being one of the massive insights or lessons for you along that journey, would there be anything that sort of stands out for you?
1: I mean, the thing that, the kind of the theme that stands out in my life and in my business is the word iteration. I use that word a lot. We were having a team meeting earlier and we were talking about a specific process in our company. I said, guys, right now we do not have a process. We don't need a process. There's a specific team member that all this work goes through right now. I said, most days he's able to get the work done in eight hours and he's not overwhelmed. And when he is overwhelmed, he will come to me and tell me he's overwhelmed and we'll figure it out from there. But we don't need a process for this. So right now we're going to just do it a certain way and we'll dev- we'll iterate. We'll iterate this process over time as we need it. It's it's moving fast and breaking things, you know, to quote Facebook it's it's just getting stuff out there and see, you know possibly screwing some stuff up along the way that's part of that process you're going to you're going to screw some stuff up you know you're going to make some mistakes but we're going to iterate so we're going to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and we're not seeking perfection because perfectionism is you know is really just an excuse not to take action and yeah. so if you look at my life and the way my business career it's been iteration after iteration after iteration but it's been taking action fast Making those small mistakes fast is like starting a website. You know, try things when you only have 140 subscribers. Why? Because you only have 140 people who give a crap. Make mistakes every time you start adding zeros. when oh, you get 1,400. You start getting a little bit more cautious. 14,000? You're nervous about making mistakes when you have over 100,000 people who follow you, who are subscribed to your email list. You barely will try anything. So try yeah. everything when you have 140 people. You know, try everything when you have 500 people. Make some mistakes. Don't try to get Everything systematized immediately, but then do systematize over time. And so you'll like, if you observe the way we do business, like we have almost two extremes in the early stages. It's like, there's no system. It's willy nilly throw crap against the wall and see what sticks in the latter stages. It becomes very systematized. It becomes very McDonald's like, mm-hmm. you know, like here's exactly how you do this and the system you follow. And here's the process. But sometimes that takes a year, year and a half before we reach that point
0: yeah it's interesting, because even the leaders in business today, whether it be a corporate world or whether it be an entrepreneur, I don't think it it's all the same. It's just a scale thing that we're talking about here really. and And it's really interesting about the you know the iteration of things and doing things faster and getting on with things too many people procrastinate, they they sit back, they wait, they want it to be perfect. And I don't, yeah. it will never be perfect. And, you know, listeners can't see you and I, because you know, this is just audio, but, you know, behind me, I've got a flip chart full of stuff. I'm just always just planning, thinking, and doing that. At times, Matt, I think to myself, you know, you, you think, overthink, it's not overthinking it, but it's just, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this iteration yeah. all the time. When do I stop? And I don't think it ever, But it sounds what you're saying, I don't. Think I'll be ever stopping or stop doing that at all? Would that be right?
1: I personally would not want to. You know, my personality. You know, I have ADD, and I think it's a superpower if I manage it correctly. And part of that is I have an idea minute. So if I don't get to execute at least one new idea every you know week or so, I go crazy. On the flip side of that, if I'm execute, if I'm coming up with so many ideas that we don't put the systems in place, the business will crumble. Mm. And so for me, at any point in time you know, in a given month, for example, that it's kind of one of the ways we indirectly operate is like, we're going to enact, we're going to let Matt do his creativity and he are going to have two or three new ideas that we're going to, we're going to test out and we're going to do that all out. And one or two of them is going to work. You know, the reason why we have 24 really good ideas a year as a company, because we have 48 ideas, actually it's because we have 500 ideas. We test 48 of them and half of them end up being stupid or we don't know how to execute them. But then we get to keep the 24 for the next 10 years. The 24 that didn't work, they lasted weeks. That's the thing. So so many people are afraid to try things. It's like running a split test on your website. Mm. I run a split test on the website. I don't know which one's going to work. Or sometimes I do know and I'm wrong. I'm not a great marketer because I'm smart. I'm a great marketer because I test everything, try everything. And so I pick in its simplest form, I pick A versus B and A wins. You know how long I tested B for? A week or two. I get to keep A for the next five years. I get to keep the winner for five plus years. The loser, I only had to do it for a couple of weeks. Most people aren't willing to be wrong for a couple of weeks. I give you one, this is a weird example, but somebody noticed one day, I, I've always known that I was really, really good at puzzles. And somebody asked if it was because I had, like, like I had really advanced spatial recognition and I don't. And so they were trying to figure out why I was really good at puzzles. And then somebody had this random idea and asked me if this was true about, you know, just the way that my brain works. And I was like, no. And it dawned on me, you know, the reason why I'm really good at puzzles, because I'm willing, I can literally do like a 500 piece puzzle faster than 99.9% of the population. There are savants who can do them much faster. All right. Just to be clear. But among the non, like, like among the non-savant population, I'm faster than 999 The reason is I'm willing to be wrong. And I didn't know, I didn't know this wasn't normal. Most people won't even attempt to put a puzzle piece in place unless they're sure it's the right piece or pretty sure it's the right piece. I'll just go like, boom, boom, boom. I'll find like 20 pieces that look like they might fit and I'll just be wrong. My wife is fascinated by it. She can't believe how many times I'm wrong. But the reality is in the time it took me to test those 20 to get the one right piece, of course, sometimes the right piece is the second piece though. That's what you have to keep in mind. In the time it took me to get the 20, You've been trying to find the right piece to be perfect. I've already found seven pieces before you found one piece. And it's because I'm willing to be wrong a lot. Mm. But again, that piece stays in place. Now I'm down to 499 pieces or 498 pieces, right? Because there's two that had to connect. And I'm lowering my ability. So then as we get toward the end, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm wrong. I'm right. I'm right. And I'm right a bunch. And I've already completed the 500 piece puzzle while you're on piece maybe 57. And that's what you have to be willing to do in both in marketing and just in general business. You have to be willing to do that in leadership. Like, I'm a big believer in being slow to hire and quick to fire, but at some point, you have to pull the trigger and bring team members on. And occasionally, you're going to have somebody that's a flop. Occasionally, you're going to hire somebody that's a wrong fit. And you have to be willing to do that. It's not, you will just, I don't go hire 10 people like left and right, like, oh, you, oh, no, we have an extensive hiring process. It's about a four to six month process for an individual to join our team. But at the end of that time, I have to pull the trigger. And you know what? We've been wrong. We've had a couple of bad hires over the years. We've had some, actually we've had some dumpster fires over the years. I could tell you stories. It'd be, it's mind blowing. Some of the people that we've hired over the years, it would be like, how did that person ever end up on our team? We had to fire a lady after her first day. How were we so wrong after a four month hiring process that we could be so wrong that we had to fire after the first day? You know, but I'm willing to take those chances because it didn't really cost us that much in the mm. scheme of things. Mm.
0: Oh, I love what you're sharing there about, you know, like the puzzle and just doing it fast. But I think the key words that you're saying there are like execute, action, massive action, doing all that. Too many people sit back and wait and they need to get going. And I love what you're saying about the pieces and that next minute, right, right, right. Because you've got the no's and the wrong ones out of the way earlier on. So that's, that's pretty good to see as well. Now, the other thing here is I've got a question for you. And that is how how did you actually get into leadership yourself?
1: Yeah. By accident. You know, I, I was in my mid-20s and we started a company, that company I mentioned earlier. And I didn't know that this is something that people teach. Honestly, we kind of made it up and screwed up a bunch of stuff, but we 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 hired immediately, you know, you know, there's different people that teach it different ways, but you know, we use the matrix where it's you got things that you're proficient at. you're, You're proficient at and you enjoy them. Those are the highest level activities in your business. So proficiency, enjoyment, and value. Like if you can get all three of those, you know, at the highest level, that's what you should be focused on as a leader. On the flip side is things that you suck at, you hate, and they're not very, you know, profitable, but they need to be done in the business, right? So for, you know, whatever that might, like checking email, right? That's not, that's very low on any of those scales. And So we immediately just started going through and delegating, and hiring people to take over those things. I knew that I had literally no interest in customer service. I love sales and I love like high level customer service, like our, you know, our big clients, but you know, the day in and day out stuff, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy dealing with my credit card. I need to change my credit card. How do I update it? I don't want to deal with that. It's just not enjoyable for me. I'm terrible at it because I'm not patient enough. And the value is pretty low in the scheme of things, you know, like, what you, you know, we can hire somebody for $15 an hour to do that stuff. So things like that, we immediately hired people and then we hired people to do other administrative stuff. And then we got to the kind of the next level up, like the things that I'm pretty good at, kind of enjoy them but not like high level and they're a medium dollar. And so some stuff like this, is the other thing is like, there's things like where I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I really enjoy it. And the dollar amounts kind of in that middle range. Like graphic design. Mm. I really enjoy it. I I could do graphic design all day long. I love it, but I'm not the best at it. So we had to finally hire a graphic designer. And so, next thing you know, I wake up one day and we've got 52 team members. You know, this is back in 2007 with a different company. I got 15, no, 13 direct reports at that time. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a leader. You know, I was terrible at it. I was still in my mid 20s. I was kind of a punk. I had a huge office and a nice building. I had all the trappings, right? You know, I had all the things that the other, that the regular team members didn't have because I was the special executive, you know, and one of the three, you know, partners in the company. And I was the youngest of the bunch. So I kind of, like I said, I was kind of a punk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as things developed, I became more and more important in my own mind and really kind of sucked as a leader for, for a while there until I got out of that company. It's a long story. Don't need to get into that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately just by accident, you know, we built the team, And next thing you know, we had 50 some odd people and, oh, wait, I'm one of the, one of the three, you know, and and that's how I got into it.
0: Yeah, cool. Now, talk about hiring people and bringing people on board and actually it's about letting go as well as, as, as a leader and not thinking that you have to be everything to everybody. So what was that process for you, that transition of letting go and letting others come in and take over?
1: I mean, for me, it was, like I said, we just went up the ladder until like even recently, you know, about a year and a half ago, we hired, and and this was, we hired a copywriter. Copywriting is something that I'm really good at. I'd give myself an A minus. I really enjoy, and it's very valuable to our company, you know? So we're even at that point where, unless it's three A pluses across the board, I don't do it. But it started with getting rid of like the straight Fs. And they worked up to like, you know, the straight D's and then things that were like C's and B's and even, like I said, even things that were really high, like there are things where I'm really good at, but they're low dollar. So we got rid of those, you know, and things I really enjoy. So now it's only the, you know, the few things in the company where I'm an A plus across the board. They're the highest dollar amounts, the highest enjoyment and the highest proficiency level and for me, it was just, that was, that was the process, you know, kind of working my way up through, up through there. I have had the philosophy for about 15 years now. It took me about a year or two to develop that where I'm right that probably no one will ever do it like I do it. Hmm. Here's the thing about no one will ever do it like I do it. Half the time, that means they'll do it a little bit worse than I will. And we'll break that down in a second. Okay. Of that half where they don't do it as good as I do it, 90% of that is not fatal to the company, or or 100% of that is not fatal to the company. Most mistakes are $10 to $50 mistakes, not $5,000 to $50,000 mistakes. None of them are going to cripple the company. And they typically, on average, do it 80 to 90% as well in that half, okay? In that half where they do it worse. 80% done as well as me and I don't have to be involved is a huge freaking win. That's a huge win. Hmm. The other half where they don't do it like me, you know what they do? They do it better. Mm -hmm. And I find that all the time. Like we have processes, we have a playbook and you were to follow those processes. But if you innovate and find a better way, then by gosh, we're all for it. And so I give it a great example. I had a a guy on our team. He's about a, you know, he's a lower level. He's kind of on the second tier in our company, if you will, in terms of pay. And um, I had a specific project and I, you know, here's the 10 steps. And he, he DM'd me one day in Slack and said, Hey, just want to let you know, I'm almost done. I was like, how are you almost done with this? This is like a 40-hour project. He's like, he said, just so you know, I went ahead and I purchased this. There's a software. He paid for it out of his own money. I ended up saying, dude, I'm going to reimburse you for that. That's genius. You know, I like, we bought it for the company. I I was was so blown away. So there's a software, $30. You know, it's a guy that makes about $17 an hour, $18 an hour. He's like, I just bought this software. He's like, I'm done. And he finished this project in eight hours. He did not do it like I do it. He did it better. So we have to be comfortable with, they don't do it like I do it. They might even sometimes do it a little bit worse and you just have to be comfortable with that. You know, sometimes our customer service reps, they don't include that one sentence in there that I would have included because I would have taken the extra minute to write the little note at the end, something, right? But you know what? They updated the credit card. The customer's happy. The customer can log in. The customer got the refund. The customer got what they wanted. Is it really that big of a deal they didn't include that little note at the end that I would have included? not a big deal. So mm. pick your battles, I think is the message there. Like, I'm not going to get upset about that. And so I've been at peace with that. You know, that was the big thing for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Really good. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I think it's a really good example. Now we, I, I said before about branding and that, cause you mentioned certain things, I think as leaders today, their brand, what should mm-hmm. they do to build that brand to, for it to be actually out there? Because I think it, the, the important thing is for the brand to be created and what to be known as but also yeah. for it to be out there in the marketplace, whether you're a leader in a corporate, whether you're a leader in a small to medium sized enterprise or business. And even if you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. Sporting person, it's a brand. but how do you sure. get it out there to be visible in the market?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what step three of the book's all about. I mean, the, the idea of capturing attention, you know? And, and I'm one of those people like, I, I hate podcasts where you get an author on and you're like, well, I cover that in step three of the book. <laughs> all right. and, I mean, like you asked me a question, I want to at least give you some sort of an answer. And so, you know, there's a few ways that like with with branding up. So just to be clear, you know, step one and step two are foundational to the book. We talk about, you know, step one is all about clarifying who you help and what your passion is. Step two is actually committing to leading. You know, you're listening to a leadership podcast. You're probably already there, but there's some stuff in there that I think will reshape how you see yourself as a leader, not only to your team, but to your brand, to your followers, to your customers. You are a leader and that can be a pretty uncomfortable thing. And so there's a lot of strategies in there that'll help you. But step three is all about capturing attention. You know, the reality is with your brand, like, and as a leader, there it's it's never been easier than at any point in human history. That at any point in human history, it's never been easier to get noticed. Like you can be completely a nobody and you can go viral in 20 minutes on on Facebook or Twitter. Standing out has never been harder, though. And there's a there's a correlation between those two. The easier it is to get noticed in today's world, the harder it is to stand out. There is so much noise. Mm. You know, it used to be. How many famous people were there in 1950 in the United States? Let's go with 10 authors, a couple of artists, a few politicians. Let's see, a few movie stars, handful of musicians. Maybe what, 100 people were considered famous in 1950. There's a guy on YouTube named PewDiePie. All right, there's another one named Mr. Beast. My son the other day, there's a guy on YouTube. He's actually a friend of mine and I know him from a different area, but he has a Pokemon channel on YouTube. I just wrote a best-selling book. It's in stores. You can walk into Barnes and Noble, see my book. I'm like internet famous. My son doesn't care. My son's seven, he doesn't care. When he found out that I was friends with Deep Pocket Monster from YouTube, he lost his stuff. He went utterly insane. Oh my gosh, Deep Pocket. Can he give me this Pokemon card? Like that's it's so easy to get noticed, but because of that, it's never been harder to stand out. Yeah. And so how do we stand out? And so I walked in the book and you know, there's things like your style and your personality, your your communication style as a brand, your communication style as the leader of the company is what dictates the brand's communication style. You know, if you're not funny, don't try to be funny. Don't try to have, don't try to be like Taco Bell's Twitter account. You know, it's going to be a disaster. Like you can't, you can't play that game. So you need to find what is that about your personality that stands out. I write about in the book about Chris Rock. You know, th- this guy went up to Chris Rock after he was on stage and said, "Are you like that all the time?" He's like, "No. Like, do you think this is how I act with my friends?" He's like, "I'm me, but I'm three times me." So you you think about like the the physical characteristics that you have, the personality characteristics that you have. It could be your clothes, all those things. Like, be you, but three times you. For example you know, they're not watching this, but like, I wear the same thing every day in winter. I wear jeans and a hoodie. All right. In the summer, I wear shorts and a t-shirt and flip flops. That's what I wear every single freaking day of the year. Those four things. All right. If it's a little bit cold, I might wear shorts and a hoodie really, you know, just to kind of like mix it up or if it's, you know, if it's like 65 degrees, right. You know? And so I wear the same thing all the time. I don't really stand out in my appearance. So that's not some place that I stand out, but in yours, you know, like if you, if your culture and your company is like suit and tie, maybe you need to go three piece suit or maybe you need to go the other direction, you know, and you need to roll up, you need to be like no coat and roll up your sleeves. I don't know. Like, what can you do to stand out in your niche? There's other things you can do to stand out. Like, you know, your experience, your, your degrees, your pedigree, the places you've worked, awards that your company's won, things like that are ways you could stand out. Your personal background, the the background of the founder. We all love the rags to riches story. Well, I don't have the rags to riches story. Okay, how else, you know, how can you stand out? Think about the ways you can stand out. And then the last way is just your method. You know, think about the way that your company does things. Like what is your actual method? Like, do you do in your content? Do you have blog posts? Do you have a podcast? Do you do videos? If you do a podcast, yours is an interview based, you know, podcast, Dennis, but and yours, you know, this will be a 45 minute episode or whatever. Right. So if, if I were to compete against Dennis, if everybody in my niche was like Dennis, I would come up with a daily five minute podcast. You're going to stand out. It's not a, not a less frequent longer one. This isn't, you know, you're not Joe Rogan with the three hour podcast your daily five minutes, like on your commute, even if your commute is from your bedroom to your home office, you can still listen to the five minute, seven minute podcast. But if you've got a lot of solo podcasts and do an interview podcast. So think about ways that you can change your method, the way that you deliver your content, things like that are ways that you can stand out, tell stories versus just like, you know, basic lessons. If you're audience, if you're if your competitors are all physical products, then go digital, or if they're all digital, go physical. Things like that.
0: Yeah. There you go, listeners. If you haven't already got this book, you need to get this book. Turn your passions into profits. It's awesome, Matt. Do you have a favorite leader?
1: I have a very weird answer to that. You know, there's so many great leaders. Winston. I'm a I'm a history buff, Dennis, so mm-hmm. I love studying Winston Churchill, FDR, Abraham Lincoln. You know George Washington, all these you know Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Mandela, I mean, all these people are people that come to my but my this is such a weird answer until I explain it to people. My favorite leader is George W. Bush, and this isn't a political thing it, it it's really not at all it's here's what I love about George W. Bush. this one thing, and I think it's such a powerful lesson for leaders and for brand builders and for anybody. when he ran for governor in nineteen ninety four he had four campaign. Platforms. If I remember correctly, it was educational reform, juvenile justice reform, tort reform, and I don't remember the other. But for years, I could tell you all four. When he ran for president, he had a few things that he was going to he campaigned on. Now, of course, everything went to you know crap with 9/11, and it changed the priorities. But he made his campaign very simple. He had four things, and he repeated those four things over and over and over again. And the media were they hated him for it, and they were like they would ask him. Do you have a fifth priority? And he would say, yeah, to get the first four done. (laughs) And I think as leaders, we can, you know, especially when you're like me, you got ADD and, and you can be like bounce off the wall. No, we got every month or every quarter, sorry, we have three or four big rocks. Every now and again, it's four. Most months or most quarters, it's three. That's it. We are all in. Anything that I have that I bring to the table or anybody else brings to the table, unless there's some sort of weird critical nature to it. If it doesn't fit into those three or four things, it just gets punted down the road. Well, great idea. Maybe we'll do it next quarter. We are like locked in on those three or four things. And our fifth priority is to get the first four done. You know, that is it. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I've always been attracted to him as as a leader. You know, nobody would ever accuse him of necessarily being the greatest communicator. You know, he was not Ronald Reagan. He was not FDR. But, you know, you can't, you can't, what is the word I'm looking for? can't discount his track record you know when he ran for Mm. major office governor and president he's you know four for four in elections so he's clearly doing something right and i just always respected that about him
0: yeah that's great because you can you tie that back to what you said it on about you know your communication style will determine your brand and it's very similar to what you just said there so if the guy's sharing three things four things it's easy for us to remember easy for us to talk about i go into organizations matt and they would say oh how many leadership behaviors do you have oh 21 awesome can you tell me one? No, they can't <laughs> tell me even one and they make it too difficult. And I think you're so right what you're saying there and, and keeping its three to four things nice and simple, but get those over the line. And then if you think about what Michael Hyatt teaches us, right, about focusing on three things for the day, for the week, for the quarter and things like that, it's, it's, it's just very simple, but it's impactful. It really works hard nicely as well. Matt, the show here is called Leadership cool. is Changing. When we talk about that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? I mean, clearly
1: it <laughs> means evolution. You know, you know, when I first got into leadership almost 20 years ago, you know, everybody that worked with me was older than me. I mean, literally, I was the youngest person at the company, with the exception of one person that we hired out of the first 35, 30 people that I, you know, I was involved in hiring. Every one of them was older than me. And now I'm 43. Most of the people that work with me are younger than me. You know, that in and of itself is, is a big change. You know, mm. I mean, it's, you know, I was a 20, I was a 24, 25 year old hiring 28 to 35 year olds now I'm a you know 43 year old hiring 28 to 38 year olds you know so that's uh that's been a definite change I think that's just normal for people when they when they spend a lot of time you know in in a leadership role For me I mean things are different just in the world you know I mean 25 we had an office I haven't stepped foot in an office that was mine I've stepped foot in some clients' offices I haven't stepped foot in an office of my own since 2010. I've been virtual for 13 years. My entire team is virtual. I have my team is literally until recently. We only had one team member that was in the same time zone as me. We now have two. I've got so, where's two of us or three of us in the Eastern time zone? No, four. I'm sorry. We did, we just started a fourth. Four of us in the Eastern time zone. There's uh, like four in the Central time zone, none in the Mountain time zone, two or three, two or three, four in the Pacific time zone. We got Thailand, India, Europe. I mean, like we're all over the place. And so, that's a much different thing than what i've I've done. so I think there's a lot of things like that that are just evolving how we like what's important you know to people at the age of twenty five is you know is different than what's important to people at the age of you know forty five even like the age of thirty five just evolving with that you know and what's important to the people that you're hiring and bringing on to your team and obviously how we communicate virtually versus in person very different. there is no just like Hey, Elaine, did you get that thing I sent you? Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, there's none of that. Like I have to go to Slack and message them and wait a period of time until they respond to me. And if it's really urgent, I'll text them and I still have to wait a period of time. You know, we have to schedule phone calls and things like that. And it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but you adjust and you adapt.
0: Yep. Yep. And so you, you Wallace, were leading the world, really, because of the last three years, we've seen this happen a lot, whereby organisations work from home because of the pandemic and so forth. Yeah, so well done. It had no and
1: effect on us. I mean, I hate to say this, I'm not diminishing the the negatives that came out of it, but as far as lifestyle changes, it had almost no effect on us. We homeschool, and I work from home, and all of our people are virtual. So for us, we just kept operating as normal. Like it was, it was the only effect it had on us was everybody was using Zoom. And it took like 12 hours for a recording to render. And we were mm. so annoyed. I'm like, we've been using zoom for five years. Now everybody discovers it and they all get, they're getting on my nerves. But that was like the only effect that it had on us. It was kind of funny.
0: Yeah. But Matt, you're leading from the front and, and the rest of the world is actually finally caught up to the way that you were yeah. working and, and they, some of them wanted to give it a go and see what it was like, which is really interesting. Now you and I are living in a world that's getting, seems to get faster and faster. Technology, tools, software, business, social—from a social perspective and also from a data perspective—what do you think a leader needs to do today to be successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world?
1: I think probably the key thing. I think we talked about systems. You know, systems are important. Developing systems, repeatable. You know, a playbook. You know, here's here's how we do things. Gino Wickman, you know, the author of Traction and Rocket Fuel. You know, call like, you know, your company name way. So the Matt McWilliams consulting way, you know, uh, that's not what we call it. We just call it the playbook, you know, here's the playbook. And then we have subsections based on, you know, what department you're in, but like, this is it. This is how we do things. That's, uh, that's a big one because you can evolve that with the way things are changing, but there's still a system, an overarching system in place. But I think the big one is probably is empathy, you know? Part of the reason why I'm a much better leader today than I was 18 years ago, I have kids. There was a time where I didn't understand it. Like, why would somebody call in sick or why would somebody say they can't come to work because their kid's sick? That's a stupid reason. I didn't have empathy. I was 24. I was an idiot. You know, I understand now when your kid's sick, you want to do everything you can to help them. Now it's different because I can be with my sick kid and have a laptop and at least get a few things done at the same time. But empathy, just being able to understand people, understanding that, you know what? Not everyone's like me. In fact, that's a good thing. Not everyone's like me and most people aren't. Understanding that some people process things slower. Some people process things faster. Some people move too fast. Some people move too slow. Some people are more emotional. Some people, this and that and the other, right? And so for us, one of the big pillars in our company is I do a one-on-one with all my direct reports. You know, every other week for 20 minutes. And we don't talk about work. We might spend like three minutes talking about something where they have a specific problem they didn't want to bring up in a team setting. We just talk about life. I just get to know them. After about four months of that, I, I mean, I I relate to them very, very well. And I understand that, okay, this person has these person, you know, this person homeschools, they've got six kids and, you know, their husband's going through a major medical challenge right now. Right? So their schedule is different. And I talk to them and I say, okay, we need to adjust your work schedule. Are there times of the day where it's really hard for you to focus on work? Yeah, from 1 to 3 p.m. every day. Well, that's typically you would consider that to be prime work time, right? And I say, you know what? Then take off from 1 to 3. Get the work done at night. But I don't need you from 1 to 3. I need you on our 12 o'clock meeting. You know, you got to be there. We have a 12 o'clock team meeting. I need you there from 12 to 1 on, the, on these, you know, these days of the week. But otherwise, from 1 to 3, just, you know what? Just put on your calendar. You're unavailable. Don't feel any pressure to take a client call, a coaching call, or a team meeting, and and then just tell people like, "Hey, Monday through Friday, one to three, I'm unavailable. You want to meet with me? It needs to be before twelve or after three, and we make that work." And that comes from you know that that empathy, which is just again, it's not something I have by default. I'm I hate to say this, I'm actually a pretty unempathetic person by nature, but I've learned to you know develop it and to see things from other people's perspectives.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, That's good. Yeah. And you know, you more or less answered my other question, which was about employees' expectations of leaders today. And you've said a few things throughout the interview already about that kind of stuff as well, which is really good. So yeah. Now, if I was to get your crystal ball on, just to bring it all together, get your crystal ball out and think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? And in particular, where do you see it with technology and the online side of things? I mean,
1: the principles have always been there. You know, the McDonald brothers developed the systems idea of business, you know, 70 years ago, but they weren't the first. Henry Ford developed the the assembly line, you know, a hundred and some odd years ago. We're, we're, we're doing systems now, but we're using technology. We're using us, you know, project management software and, you know, communication methods that are different. Process is still the same. The basics are the same. The principles are the same. Like that's one of the things with, with the book. Like I don't, I don't talk about Facebook in the book. I don't talk about how to use Facebook. I don't talk about it, I use TikTok or Twitter. Somebody listening to this six years from now might be going, "What the heck is Twitter? I think I heard about that in a history book, right? You know, what, what was TikTok? Was that that thing that like kids danced on or whatever and had those dumb challenges? And what was what was that? Why? Because they went away. Some one of the major platforms that we're all using today will be gone in five or six years. I guarantee you, it will pull in MySpace and it will be completely gone. There will be a new one that pops up that will do something amazing, and we'll all be, you know. This book doesn't talk about those because I wanted it to be timeless. I wanted it to be evergreen. I wanted it to be principle-based and and tactical-based, not specific strategies for specific platform-based. Same is true of leadership. You know, like focus on the principles. Empathy is, is, it's, it's important now. It was important 20 years ago. I just sucked at it back then. You know, developing systems is important now. It's going to be important in seven years might you be using different tools? Like did any of us do screencast recordings 20 years ago to show people how to do something? No, we had to get on a phone call with them and go, hey, do you see that blue button at the top? Where there's a blue button at the top, top right. You see the blue button? No, scroll up a little bit. Do you see, oh, there it is there. Okay, now click that. It took 45 seconds to get them to click a freaking blue button, right? Yep. Today we go, okay, you scroll up here, you click on the blue button, but it takes two seconds. So we've reduced the time to do something like that by 43 seconds. Because of technology, but the principles still the same. We're going to walk them through step by step and develop a process. All those principles are going to be the same in five years, Dennis. Mm-hmm. All of the things, there's just, they're going to evolve, whether it be through technology or understanding. I think the education side of things is helping. I mean, yeah, there are more. You got podcasts like this one you know they're getting this in front of people i wish i'd had somebody telling me the things that i've said today 20 years ago i'd have been a better leader 20 years ago i also would have a really crappy story right now cuz it would not have been really you asked me today why are you a good leader Oh, because I listened to a podcast 20 years ago and it gave me all the answers. All right, well, that's a boring story. (laughs) You know. So we have to be willing to embrace those mistakes, of course. But yeah, the principles are going to be the same five years ago as they are from now. Empathy, systems, taking like, you know, leaning into your strengths and identifying the strengths of your team members. Like with our team, we have a one of our policies is every year we do an audit, that matrix that I shared earlier, you know, value, proficiency, and enjoyment. We do an audit. And we drop off whatever's at the bottom every single year. You get to drop off one thing. Does it mean that as somebody who comes and joins you know, our team, that you're going to only be operating at your highest level? No. When you work for somebody, sometimes you have to do the crap tasks. Somebody has to do them. And sometimes that's going to be you. But can we have you operating at 70% in your highest level throughout the year? And at the end of the year, we realize you're down to 60. Boom, we will delete something from you and move you back up to 70. And then we'll continue to recalibrate every year. We're going to be doing that regardless. Like that's just a principle yep. in our company.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Matt, if people wanted to get a hold of you, where should they go?
1: Yeah. Best place to go. Guys, go grab the book. Turn Your Passions Into Profits. You can grab it. The best place to grab it. You can order it on Amazon. You can go to stores. It's in Barnes and Nobles nationwide. It's in Target. And you can order from Walmart where if they sell books, they sell my book. But if you go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Dennis, only one in. Right, Dennis passions into profits forward slash Dennis. I know Dennis will put that in the show notes for you. Go there, we've got about five hundred dollars in extra bonuses for your listeners that are going to awesome. help you guys take this stuff to the next level. So, yeah, you can buy it anywhere, but that's the best place to get it. Otherwise, you know, check me out at MattMcWilliams.com and and reach out to me. You know, like, I mean, hit me up. You know, my my, my number's on there. You can text me anytime, email me, all that stuff's on there. So I love to interact with you guys.
0: Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure Thanks talking for to me, you. Buddy. Thank you. Hey, listeners, go and, and, and grab this book. It's awesome. I've read it already and I'm going to reread it again and again because it's just wonderful stuff. But it's also, there are actual surprises for you to do as well that Matt gets you to do. And here's a little clue. You want to work out who is Gwen and when he talks about Gwen, just find out what that what that means as well because it's actually a really quite cool story for, for that match heres. All right, listeners, hey, thanks for joining us until next time. bye for now.